0: If you can find 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, that would be a, a good idea. So, um, follow along with me, please. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, And of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard, was, guard what has been entrusted to your care, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you.
1: Let's pray. Father we do thank you that we can be here this morning and I pray that you would fill our hearts with great trust in you and generosity towards the work of the gospel and the needs of others we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Before I start I just mentioned uh, for the those who weren't here last week there's a sign up and serve form that was in your bulletin uh, part of this series what if and if you didn't get a chance to fill it in do take that opportunity and give it to one of the staff after the service. Well, this week we're looking at a very important question. Uh, What if we really believe that all we have actually belongs to God? What difference would that make for our lives? What difference would it make for us as a church? Now, the issue that we're looking at is stewardship, and in particular, finances. And I've told the church uh, on a number of occasions. my background is I've got some Scottish blood and I'm kind of a bit stingy at heart. My nickname when I was growing up had two words, tight was the first, the second related to a body part I won't go on about. So when I preach this message, um, it's for me as much as it's for you. And uh, honestly, I'm a bit like the guy who was pretty miserly. And he didn't at all like to part with his money. And that's honestly what I was like. Uh, I just hated giving money away. But he got married. And this guy, in a very uncharacteristic fit of generosity and affluence, took his wife on a honeymoon to Hawaii. While he was there, he saw a joy flight advertised for $500 in an old open cockpit biplane. A bit like the plane you can see behind me. Slow moving, you get to fly around Hawaii and see the beautiful sights. Anyway, it's $500, and so his stingy side kicked in, so he starts haggling with the operator, trying to get the price down. And anyway, after a while, the operator is just kind of frustrated with the guy, and he said, look, I'll give you double or nothing. If I can take you up on a joy flight, and you don't say a word, not a syllable or a sound, I'll give you the ride for nothing. Otherwise, if you make a noise, you've got to pay double. And the guy agreed. And the plane pilot is thinking, I'm going to give this guy the ride of his life. And so he goes up into the air and they go higher and higher. There's corkscrews, there's sharp banking turns, there's loop-the-loops, there's power dives. Anyway, after a while, the pilot starts feeling sick himself because he's been given the plane such a workout, but there's not a peep from behind him. And so finally he lands the plane and he's feeling a bit woozy and he decides he'd better go and ask the guy, he said... "Um, How could you get through all of this without crying out and making a noise? And the passenger looked a little sheepish, and he replied, Well, I nearly did when my wife fell out, but I managed to keep control of myself. (laughs) Now, I just want to say, I'm not that bad, okay? But I'm up that end of the spectrum. Now, I know others, they've got great generosity. And I want to talk today about money and in particular, stewardship of it. What if God really owned all that I have? What difference would that make to me, to our families, to our church, to this world? What if really all we have belongs to God and it's for us to be good stewards of? Well, let me start by talking about money in particular and Australians and what we think about money. Now, let me just say, this is not based on statistical research. This is my own soft research in terms of my own interactions with people and reading of culture. This is my gut feeling about why, what we actually believe about money as Australians. Firstly, possession is nine-tenths of the law. When we think about money, we think, my money is mine. It's not yours. It's not my family's. It's mine one of the most horrendous things I think you see today is when families squabble over wills. And it's a very strong statement about what we think about money and its value. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, my money is mine. And secondly, if I earned it, that means I can spend it the way I want to. If it's mine, I'll do what I want with it, so please don't tell me what to do with my money. I think that's the second thing. We've earned it, we can do what we want. And thirdly, and most profoundly I think, deep down we really think money will make us happy. Now that's against all the statistical research that money actually doesn't make you happy. It makes you happy for a small season and then the reality of life sets in again. And people who acquire stuff will have a short buzz and then the normality of life sets in and the buzz is gone and whatever it is you've used it for, well, the happiness is gone. And it always astounds me how many people line up to buy a ticket for these enormous lottery deals. Now, we had one just recently in October where the Powerball, I think it was $34 million, and people flock to the newsagents to buy tickets. Great business for Chris, but anyway, the rest of us, we just waste our money. And it's astounding. And all the evidence has been that people who win the lottery typically have their lives destroyed that's the most astounding thing on top of it all all of a sudden they get rich quickly and everyone wants a piece of it and their life falls apart but somehow we put that thought off and we think money will make us happy and fourthly we think money will give me security if i've got a solid bank account then i'm secure in life and i think we really believe this And it flies against the reality of sickness and suffering and, importantly, death. You see, money does have some value. It can do enormous things at one level. But I tell you what it can't give you. It can't give you security in life. Your health and your well-being have nothing to do with the size of your bank account. Our security is in God that's where we find security now i'm not advocating poverty and the bible doesn't advocate poverty either the bible says give me neither poverty or riches what we need to learn is actually contentment in christ and the last thing i think australians think is please don't talk to me about my money how much i've got what to do with it well it's mine and so to come and talk to me about money was actually a bit rude Now, I don't know if you're feeling that this morning. You're feeling a bit ripped off. You didn't realise this is what the sermon was on today. Uh, But I want to talk to you about money today. And I want to say, if you're a new person here and you're just exploring the Christian faith, this is an important thing to grapple with because Australians idolise what they think money can do for them. And I want to say to you, the only thing or person who can actually bring you security And blessing and happiness in this world is the living God. And so keep thinking about him and learn today about what he says about money. You might be surprised. And hear me when I say, I think this message is incredibly important for us. Because if we really believe what the Bible teaches on money, it can change your life for the better in the most profound ways. You see, the Bible doesn't teach about money because God wants to get it all out of your bank pockets, uh, your bank accounts and your back pockets. He wants to teach you about what it means to trust Him and to know Him and to enjoy His blessings. And the people who are generous with their money are the ones I know have great joy in their life and are on a spiritual adventure serving Him. We're going to come to that at the end of the service. So what does God say about money? Well, I've got a couple of verses and we're going to look through a number of verses today. And let me say, for every verse I'm putting up, there's probably four or five others I could also put up because there is so much material from the Scriptures about money. The first one is this that I want to say, is God is the owner of everything. It's a very simple statement to make and there are so many verses on that. But let's have a look at what 1 Chronicles 29.14 says. And this is a famous speech and prayer from King David when he was doing a fundraiser for finances to build and fund the temple. And he comes to this point and says, but who am I? Because there's been this incredible, incredible generous giving by the people. He says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? No, everything comes from you, Lord, and we have given, given you only what comes from your hand. In other words, the money that we are giving to this project to build God's temple, has actually come from God's hand in the first place. We're just giving back to God what he's entrusted to us. Now, a very bold and strong and simple statement is in Haggai. Again, reflections on building the temple or the second temple. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, you can't get it any clearer than that. The money that we have, the silver, the gold, the investments, the shares, the property, it's God's, declares the Lord Almighty one you may not have thought of applies to this, is the great hymn about the Lord Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 1. And it talks about that he is the one who is before all things, he's the creator of all things, and it says all things were created by him, that's the Lord Jesus, and they're for him. Everything is for the Lord Jesus. He owns it all. Now, let me give you an illustration about this in terms of stewardship. Did you hear about the church that didn't have enough room for parking? Well, fortunately, it was located right next door to a store that was closed on Sundays. And so the church pastor asked the store owner if they could overflow into his parking lot. No problem, he said. You can use it 51 weeks of the year. But on the 52nd week, it's going to be chained off. Now, the man was very grateful because he's thinking for 51 weeks, church can park there. But he said, curiously, what happens on that other week? And the store owner smiled and said nothing. I just want you to remember it's not your parking lot. (laughs) Now, here's the thing we need to realise. Our money is not our own. We are just stewards of it that one day we'll have to give an account for how we've used it. And if you want to read some parables about stewardship, read the Gospels where Jesus talks about giving talents And that he comes back to take account of the stewardship of what he's given people. You see, my bank account is not mine to just freely decide what to do with It's actually God's money that I'm called to responsibly steward and use for his purposes. Now, people, when they hear this, sometimes say to themselves, yeah, but actually, I'm the one who earned it. Now, if you're tempted to say that, don't say it out loud too much, but read this verse. When you're tempted to think this, that, well, I'm the one who's earned the money, it's my money. In Deuteronomy, Moses said this to the people. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. So when you're tempted to think, hey, haven't I done really well this week or this year uh, or this past decade and, you know, we're really blessed and we've got lots of money, it's because I've done a great job earning the money. Just read this verse over and over again and be realized and be convicted of the reality that the ability to earn money the ability to do work comes from god and so he's entitled to say the money's mine now a striking one is that we must not rob god when you come to later in the old testament the people of god have stopped tithing giving 10 percent to keep the levites and the ministry running well and this is god's response it is very strong Through the prophet Malachi, he says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. And you see, there were numbers of issues that they were struggling with in the people of God. And Malachi is saying, it's actually, you're under a curse. Why? Because you're robbing God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. And you see, it's particularly striking because what the prophet is saying and the word of God is saying to us, when we hold on to our money and our finances and our abilities for our sake and don't use them the way God calls us to, we're actually robbing him because they're not ours. But note the blessing and the promise there. When you actually take God's word seriously and give generously the way he calls us to, He says, test me and will not the floodgates of blessing come upon you? And you see, this is the message of the Bible. When we take God seriously with our finances, that we are here to be stewards of them. There are repeated blessings promised. And it's not a prosperity gospel that you give to get rich. It's a gospel of blessing that he looks after those who trust him. Now you might say, well that's the Old Testament, it taught about tithing and all these kind of things. But we're in the New Testament, we don't have tithing applied to us. So let's have a think about what the New Testament teaches about how we handle God's money. Now the passage I'm going to look at is from 1 Timothy that we had read today. It's a very good passage, I could pick numerous passages. And there's a number of things I want to bring out from the passage today. Firstly, the Bible warns us about money. Check your attitude to money. Is what paul said to timothy godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we'll be content with that people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men women into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil now i want to just make a couple of points Uh, The possession of money is not evil. There's nothing wrong with having money. Uh, There is no problems in being rich. Nowhere is being rich condemned. People are warned, though, who are rich about the dangers of money and the impact it can have on your soul. And the reality is we here are rich. And I know there will be variations in terms of the bank account size, But you see, you need to not compare yourself to someone who works in Macquarie Street. You need to compare yourself with someone who is living in poverty in a third world country. And we, friends, are rich. And the warning is here to check your attitude to money. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's no good just to be godly and discontented. And you see, the root of greed is discontentment. You see, greed is the attitude that I need more and I want more. And it is the atmosphere that we breathe here in Australia with the materialism that goes on because you see, how much is enough? Well, a little bit more is enough. And marketing works on you to say you need the new one, the upscale one, the bigger one, the better one, the brighter one contentment is about saying actually I'm happy with what I've got and what I really want to do is glorify God with what I've got and bring glory to him you see how do you tell if someone actually loves God and loves the Lord Jesus look at how they spend the money God has entrusted to them it's very simple you see how do you tell if someone actually trusts in God for their eternal salvation look at how they spend the money God has entrusted to them you see money is a litmus test about where we are with god it really is jesus said you cannot love god and money you can't serve both and so what you do with your money and your riches will indicate where your heart is and you see what paul is saying to us is be godly and content with the life god has given you don't look at your neighbor and say gee i wish i had that don't look at others and think boy i need to jump up a peg look at what you've got and be content with it and you see there is great blessing and happiness then because you'll be able to focus your life on god and serve him and give generously check your attitude to money is the first thing secondly trust god who provides your money have a look at this verse command those who are rich in this present world that's us not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in god who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment a couple of things to note Um, The word command, it's very interesting. Uh, Paul, when he writes to his young leaders, uh, will use different kinds of language about how they're to relate to their congregation. On one occasion, he'll say, be an example in life and speech in this letter, chapter 4. In other words, I'm to be an example to you about how to live the Christian life. What's fascinating is here, he doesn't say be an example to those who are rich in this present world. He says actually command them, okay? Now I want to say I need to hear this too and so the command is to all of us but this is how strongly Paul feels about this matter of money. Command them, don't be arrogant, don't put your hope in wealth, rather trust in God. You see your money is not yours and your money will one day fail, that is the reality your money will one day be gone. Your money can't buy you happiness or security. You actually can't take your money with you. As Paul says earlier in this chapter, you brought nothing into the world, you'll take nothing out of the world. It's all gone. It's only here for a season. And it's a spiritual litmus test and test for you about the reality of your faith. So do not trust in your money. You see, God is the only one who can provide for you and deliver you now, and provide and deliver you from eternity without Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who can save your soul. He is the one through the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to trust in completely. And so, what I'm saying is, don't trust your money, trust in God. And what we're to do with our money, and this is the second command, command them to do good, command them to be rich, and command them to be generous. And so I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to command you, be generous, okay? I'm saying it to myself as well. Be generous, Bruce. Now, I need to hear this. You need to hear this too. We all need to hear this. Do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share You see, the second command is there to really put the asset on us. Friends, there's no options here. It's not just for the super-Christians or the Christians who've got kind of an abundance. It's for all of us. Now, here's the interesting thing. The good news about tithing is it doesn't really operate in the New Testament. So this 10% thing, you give 10% away, doesn't really operate in the New Testament. Now, the reality is when you look at the Old Testament and you go through all of the tithing, academic scholars say it's probably more like 25%, not 10%. Okay? Okay? and then you had free will offerings over the and above that. Now here's the good news. That doesn't apply now. We're just called to be generous. Now for the life of me, I cannot believe being generous is less. If a poor peasant farmer whose entire livelihood depends on his crops is called to tithe and trust God, uh, it must mean generosity Is more for us who've got the eternal security of the resurrected Christ in heaven interceding for us and has died for us and risen again for us. Why do people balk first at the 10% number? I think deep down because we really believe that all the money I have is mine and I'm losing some of it when I give it away rather than seeing it as a blessing from God to bless others with and to grow the gospel. And hear what John Piper says about tithing and generosity. And I I was very challenged by what he had to say. Let me say this. And it's made me rethink about what we do. The question that Jesus drives us to ask again and again is not how much I should give, but really how much dare I keep. One of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Great Commission. By and large, the Old Testament people of God were not a missionary people. But the New Testament church is fundamentally a missionary people. The spiritual hope and the physical emotional sustenance that Jesus brought to the earth is to be extended by his church to the whole world. The task he has given us is so immense and requires such a stupendous investment of commitment and money that the thought of settling the issue of what we give by a fixed percentage like a tenth is simply out of the question. My own conviction, this is John Piper, is that most middle and upper class Americans who merely tithe are robbing God in a world where 10,000 people a day starve to death and many, many more are perishing in unbelief. The question is not what percentage must I give, but how much dare I spend on myself? And I think that's a good question to sit with. It's one I'm sitting with currently. And so I want to have some practical things to say. But firstly, I do want to acknowledge there's some very generous people here. And it, is, it warms my heart to see the way people are generous towards the gospel here and generous towards the needs of people. And I see stuff that most people don't see. And it's really, it's so heartwarming. And there's a whole bunch of stuff no one sees. And I'm delighted about that. And that's the way it should be. And I'm delighted with generosity and when i see it just like i'm delighted when people share their faith and people love people it's part of a practical faith in god and so i just want to say thank you to those who are generous keep it up make god's blessing continue to be with you but for those who struggle here's seven practical things to think about firstly is intentional you actually need to make a decision to give and trust god with your finances my experience is this i don't wake up in the morning and feel great let's give some money away okay And I suspect there's a lot of people who are like that. I wake up in the morning and think, have I got enough money in the bank? And so I need to make a decision. Actually, I'm going to make a decision to give this this year and we make do our plans for the year and then we respond as need comes along through the year. And Paul said this, each person should give what he's decided in his heart to give. And so you need to make a decision. And that's why, uh, I haven't got the cards up here, but the commitment cards, I encourage people to fill in. Because, you see, it's actually about making an intentional decision. I'm going to give to the church this amount. I'm going to give to missions this amount. And then I'm free to give this other amount outside of here. And I would encourage us to do all three. I give first to the church ministry because we're a family. And I encourage people, give to the family. We need to operate. You mean, what actually, if we took this seriously, what would it be like as a church? I wouldn't have to hand out a a treasurer's report saying we're behind budget again. Have a look at the Treasurer's Report and read it for yourself. We'd be rather sitting here thinking, what group can we bless this week? What extra mission can we take on this year? How good would it be to have that problem? That we had too much money and we just had to give more away. It would be unbelievable. I think the average rate of giving is kind of if you were tithing on the doll at the moment. If you include all the members of the church which tells you there's some who are generous and some who we need to really think through this. Secondly, be regular and have a plan. Weekly, monthly, I don't think that's the big issue. The issue is be regular and I want to just say, uh, I think one of the most helpful practical things to being regular is using direct debit and electronic means because it does it when you forget about it. And we basically set and forget at the start of every year and it's done and it's dusted and we can move on and think about other ways that we can be generous. So have a plan. Thirdly, be generous. And I would say to you, if you've never tithed, start with 10% and then move up. And if you are there, why don't you think about being a bit more generous this year and just increase the blessing that's coming out from your household. So be intentional, be regular, be generous. And fourthly, do it first. Before you think about any other bill, the Bible would say, give to God first. Proverbs says, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, people ask me sometimes, should I tithe pre-tax or post-tax now here's my response for you what do you reckon is the most generous okay i'll give you another biblical thought i think paying taxes is biblical we should support our country we get benefits from the country do you pay to caesar first or to god the scriptures say pay to god first and we work out our pre-tax amount and i just chop it and it's gone and i'm happy. And Jesus said, give to God what is God's and to Caesar unto Caesar's. So do it first. Fifthly, be proportional. The biblical principle is equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. I don't expect everyone to give the same. But you know, the more faithful you are with the little you have, it's incredible how God enables you to give more and more. Be proportional and be cheerful and confident is the last thing I want to say. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give, or woman, what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the conundrum. I'm commanding you to be generous, but you've actually got to work it out yourself. Okay? You've actually got to come to a conviction under God what that means for you. Though I'm commanding you, you must do it. And be cheerful about it, that you've been blessed with what you have and you can be a blessing to other people and in doing that be confident because there are so many promises that god will look after you as you seek to be generous and i'll finish with this verse paul says at the end of this section on uh, in 2 corinthians chapter 9 he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel I'm preaching what the Bible says is that God will look after you and his blessing will be upon you now just to encourage you I've asked one of our parish counsellors to come and share what that's meant for them and Emily who's been leading the service is going to come up and share about what she and Mark have attempted to do in their life over to you Em
2: thanks Bruce you pretty much said it all <laughs> in your sermon and actually after hearing that we're not very generous and we could actually be so much more generous than, than what we already are. So thank you for that, Bruce. Um, when you. you said that everything belongs to God, it my, my heart actually skipped a beat because I thought, I didn't actually think of money at that point. I actually thought of my children. Mm-hmm. And I thought of the story of Hannah having to give over Samuel. Um, not having to, but deciding to give Samuel back to God because he had given her something so precious. So I actually think with our finances... Let's just give it away to God because he will actually do with it what he wants to do with it. And actually, in my heart, I need to not, also not to idolise my own children. And if he calls me to give them away, then he calls me to give them away. Um, but a couple of things you said there are excellent. We use this time of year every single year to do two things. Firstly, to decide how much we are going to be generous um, with giving to our local church first. So we look at our income and we decide how much of that or a portion of that that um, we are going to give to our local church first. That's the first thing that we do, and we always decide that. And for us this year, I have gone back to work, so that has actually been really good. I feel like I'm also personally contributing to the amount that we give as a family to our local church. And the um, and anything on top of that is is extra, and it's generous, and it's fantastic. So that is things like the commitment series, um, things like when we have the... Um, tax, the the giving around the end of financial year, the foundation giving. And the second thing that we decide is our time. We also decide that we're actually going to give our time to church and time to our local church. So that means for us that we commit now that we are going to be at church every single Sunday for the next year, which means that we do have to say no to things outside of church. But you know what? We're not missing out. We are not missing out. We are here And we're with our family and we are being encouraged and enriched by being here. Um, Just a couple of things. We're really, really thankful for our jobs and we don't want to take them for granted. So we do want to give back to God what he has given us. Um, We both decided before, um, when we were single people, that we would give to God a portion of our income. So when we got married, it was a non-issue. That was just something that continued on into our marriage. And I just want to say thank you to people like Scott because that was a time for me in my youth group, actually, when that was instilled in my heart and my mind as part of being a Christian was actually giving, giving a portion of our income away. And Scott was one of our youth group leaders. And the new youth group um, minister that we have, Nathan Campbell, I can assure you that he'll be teaching your children to actually give away a portion of their income to, to God's family and to God's work, which is fantastic. And the same goes for Mark and the, the youth group that he was in. Um, our parents were both very generous with their money as well. So if you are a parent, your children are watching everything that you do with your money and how you give it away. And that's really important to also talk to them um, about how you're giving away. How do we do this practically? Well, we choose the direct but I think it's fantastic to be in an age where we don't have to physically take money out from a bank each week. We do the same thing. We decide at this time of the year that we are going to give X amount and it just goes out. And it actually goes out... As soon as our income comes in, we know exactly what day we're going to get paid and it just gets taken out um, on that day. Actually, maybe not with this church because you take out on the 15th or something. I don't know how it works, but anyway. I don't but know either. In our brain, it's, it's gone. It's not even a part of how we budget for the rest of our household. It's not even a part of that. Um, when I was in youth group, I had a friend who, um, at the time where everyone in a youth group was deciding to go off to college to be ministers, which is a very... Um, awesome and noble thing to do. He actually said, I'm not going to do that because I know that I have a really high um, potential earning income and I'm actually going to go and I'm going to make heaps of money and I'm actually going to give that money away. And that example has stuck in my mind um, ever since he said that. And to this day, I can assure you that he and his family, they live very humbly. Um, He does earn a lot of money, but they actually give a lot of their money away and they are absolutely joyful. Very, very joyful people. um, And I I think that's a huge example for us and our family as well. Um, And the final thing that I'll say is that there are times in life that we have discovered where giving can mean different things. So um, using the example of the widow in the Gospels where she put in two coins into... um, the giving, whereas the righteous people or the rich people were giving lots and lots and lots. And Jesus actually said, she has given more than these wealthy people because she is actually given out of her poverty. And she has actually given because she is right with God. Her heart is right with God and her hope is in heaven and her hope is not in the money that she has or the money that she's giving away. So if you're in a situation like we have been in the last little while, which is only being a one income family because we've got little children, or if for some reason, um, a partner is out of work, still give generously in that time, and in fact that 's even more reason to give generously during that time and One thing that we have been talking about this week is that um, that was on the back of a fundraising night that we went to last week um, for a guy who is doing incredible ministry um, he talks about his life living in the miracle zone where he doesn't have money doesn 't have a hold on him and his family they 've worked really hard to have that happen, but they actually see God at work through their generosity in, in miraculous ways. And I was thinking about all the ways that the St. Matt's family have been um, generous in giving money and there have been miraculous things happen. And Just a, a list that came to my mind was when we were living at North Stane, which is just um, halfway down the beach, we lived in a little community and there were a number of people that were d- doing different types of missionary work. And at times, groceries would just turn up on their doorstep for like a week or... Um, they'd get an envelope underneath their door or in their letterbox that was blank, no one knew who it was from, but it was the exact amount that they needed for um, the week to survive. Another example, which is probably more recent, is the um, Heal Africa, where Matt's body got behind building the house for the doctor whose house got burnt down. I think that's amazing. We are a generous bunch here, we're a generous family, and I think we have the ability to be even more generous. So I want to encourage you, but also inspire you, to be generous with what God has given you.
1: Thank you, Em. Why don't you thank Emily for coming and sharing? I'm going to finish with the closing verse of the passage from 1 Timothy 6. In calling people to be generous, he says, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And friends, there is great blessing in this life and the next as we seek to honour God with all that we have and be generous. Let me pray and we'll close with a song. Father, we do thank you. You've given us all that we have. And Father, I want to pray that we will be generous as a church, generous towards what is happening here and generous outside of here in great ways. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to take time this week to consider how we can be generous and give towards the ministry here to our mission partners and to other needs that you put on our hearts and on our doorsteps. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.